Welcome to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Again, you know, we just, I'm not sure that we can say this enough, how much we love doing these podcasts, how much we love meeting these people who are doing incredible things, powerful things, um, things that uh, are, are truly life-giving and changing the world. And today is is absolutely uh, another another one of those people. And, you know, Tom and I just absolutely connected with this with with this young man Reza Marvasti and uh, what he's doing is it's just phenomenal and we are overwhelmed with his spirit and that just the the kind of life-giving presence that that we think he gives so it was fun it really was fun to talk with him today to, to, to share in this interview, and we hope that you'll find it to be the same. Um, we talk about some very serious things, uh, but um, underneath it all is about finding a sense of wonder and joy, and we hope that that comes out in uh, what you hear and what you see today. Just hearing Reza talk about his work and just looking at his facial expressions yeah. in the screen, he looked childlike as he was describing his work. In, in a lot of ways he was glowing because he just truly has found his passion and his joy and what as you heard at the end of the interview or you will hear at the end of the interview what makes him come alive so let's tell you a little bit about who Reza is Reza was born in Iran and is now living in Squamish near Vancouver British Columbia and Canada he's the founder and CEO of the nonprofit that you'll hear all about called the power of play And here's what the power of play is. The power of play builds sustainable playgrounds for children in need of a space to play all around the globe. The power of play strives to create a safe, loving, and fun environment that allows children to do what they do best, play. In the last five years, the nonprofit has built more than 23 playgrounds and impacted more than 20,800 children in countries such as Uganda, Egypt, Iran, Rwanda, South Sudan, India, Mexico, Canada, and more. We know you're going to be inspired by this conversation, and we're going to give you a little teaser of Reza's work through the power of play. We're going to show the YouTube video that was created on behalf of their organization. Again, the power of play. Enjoy. These kids aren't just running around screaming or having fun. They're learning to connect. They're learning to trust their bodies, to create, and to develop into healthy individuals. They do all of these things through something that most of us take for granted, play. Play nurtures relationships with oneself and others. It relieves stress, increases happiness. It builds feelings of empathy, creativity, and collaboration. It supports the growth of sturdiness and grit. Play, it's the real work of childhood. For thousands of years, from generation to generation, play has been a childhood tradition, unregulated and unstructured. Play is a fundamental right of every child. Yet, millions of children worldwide do not have access to play. They don't have the chance to develop into active, healthy beings. Their birthright is challenged by child labor, war, violence, and poverty. Without play, they feel powerless, invisible, and forgotten. Except they're not. Welcome to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. We are really looking forward to this conversation with you today. As you know, you were introduced to us by a good friend of ours who lives in North Vancouver, British Columbia. We had a Zoom conversation with you a few weeks ago, and to be honest, we instantly liked you. We liked your spirit, your your passion, your and, and your mission, and we knew in that moment that we needed to know more about you and your work and we couldn't wait to talk with you again. And we're so grateful we can do that today. So 
in starting, we'd like simply to ask you to tell us and our listeners about yourself and what inspired you to found the power of play. Uh, well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys and your guys' listeners. Um, so I give you a little background about where I came from. I was uh, born in Iran, um, and first six years of my life, uh, it was during the Iran and Iraq war. Uh, so during those times, as you could imagine, where I was in our city, we used to get uh, bombed. Usually at nighttime, the planes would come in, and it had this this darkness would come with it. You know, this fear they would come in. And I remember my uh, parents they would uh, get me and my two other brothers, and we would go to my aunt's home, which was like a basement, more like a bunker downstairs. We would go there, uh, we would hide in. They had all the windows taped in in case they shatter, it doesn't go in our eyes. And uh, all the other cousins and uncles they would all gather there. They would all get quiet. Some of us would go hide under the table you know, in case the roof comes down. And, you know, it was just like silence and fear. And for me, anytime we would get there, that was the time to play hide and seek. So I would get all my cousins, like, guys, let's go. We're playing. So we start to play hide and seek. And I remember every now and then, like, some of the uncles or other family members, they're like, guys, I'll be quiet. And uh, my mom would say, let them play. Let them do the thing. It's okay. Um, so th- th- that's, you know, it's how I grew up. Like, it was always play was part of my life. Like, even until now, is big part of my life is to play. And... Um, that was the light that I found during that darkness. You know, that was my coping mechanism with this trauma, with this war, with this bombing. Like nowadays, when I talk to some of my friends from the same time that they didn't get to play during the, the bombing time, they have this fear of loud noises. They have a lot of trauma that is still carried with them. And for me and my cousin, as we were playing, we were just creating, imagining, thinking, and we were just dealing with the stuff as it was happening. So I knew this, this light that I got, you know, like it's something that I have to pass it on. It's something I want to give it to other kids, the other kids that are dealing with trauma. Um, and through my life, you know, I, I was always in, in the quest. I was always searching what is it that I want to do with my life. So I've always been from like one schooling, one education to another one from many different, like I keep changing my career and my work. Um, I remember one of the work I was doing, uh, working uh, as a builder. I used to build homes in uh, Vancouver and I was doing this really nice uh, few million dollar homes we were building for foreign investors and they asked us to put this like nice Versace mosaic which we put in and they came in for the this is their vacation home they came in they look at it like oh we don't want this like, well, I'm pretty sure you ordered it like what you don't want it take it out <laughs> I was like you know this mosaic they're all gonna break as we take it off it's like I know I just don't like it as we were taking this off I was just thinking to myself like what am I contributing to our planet? What am I doing to make our planet a better place? Um, and through this stuff, you know, as I told you, sport was and play was a big part of my life. And I used to be a bit of an adrenaline junkie. So I used to do a lot of extreme sport. And I used to push my luck quite a bit. Um, and with that, I had a, a few near-death experiences. Um, until my last accident, um, which was the, the, the moment of epiphany for me that uh, I was like, I've been keep walking away from one and after another of these accidents. What is it there for me? What am I here to do? And uh, that's where the power of play was uh, came to be. You know, and I saw that I am here for something more than for me to have more joy and more giggles and more fun and more rush. Mm. Is uh, is I'm here to contribute. I'm here to bring that light to the children that they don't have this opportunity to play. Um, yeah, that was a really longer version of the story. <laughs> We're just so looking forward to having you on the program today because I know. Even just this weekend, Michael and I are avid readers and we read the New York Times and just seeing just the, 
the news and the current events around the world at this point in time, at this point in history, it's hard to not sink down into a very dark place as you're describing. How do we rise above those challenges? So whether it's the situation in Afghanistan or Haiti or just several countries in Africa, I mean, even in Europe, flooding and fires here in the United States. I mean, there's just so many challenges and, and how, how together can we, we rise above those challenges. So it's just good to have you on the program to hear a little bit about your story and how you've done that. This, this gentleman that we've become good friends with from Vancouver, he wrote an article about you, if you remember, and we'd like to read a portion of that article. Absolutely. So here's what he wrote about you. He said, Reza felt a strong urge to do something meaningful with his life, something that would make the world a better place. He realized that all of uh, the suffering that takes place in the world, the suffering of children is the absolute worst of it. Children are the seeds of our planet. We must raise a generation of children that have known happiness, play, and love for one and one day. These humans will be the ones taking charge of our world. Hence, you founded The Power of Play, which people can learn more about uh, through your website, which we'll talk about later, with a vision, and, and the vision is this, of a world in which all children have access to free play so that they may learn grow and thrive in their youth to reach their full potential as adults. You go on to just write about, he goes on to write about when I asked about the most memorable moment in your journey, your answer was this. The one that stands out the most was the day we finished the very first playground. That was the first time the entire camp got filled with the children's laughter, play and joy. (laughs) We're so impressed with your mission to support every child's right to learn and develop through the power of play. And you envision a world, as we do, where a sense of wonder and creativity is inspired in every child. So you build innovative and interactive learning playgrounds that are sustainable, which we love, and you do it together with the local communities and volunteers. You use recycled materials and everything in environmentally friendly ways. How easy or hard, I guess, is the question for you today. How easy or hard is it to get support, whether it's financial support, moral support, for example? And how do you gain acceptance and buy-in about the need for children to play, you know, from donors or from communities that are impoverished or war-torn or both? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um to be honest, it usually ends up being easier to find support in those countries that are underprivileged or dealing with the problem and those parents that they themselves didn't have the chance to play than it is here. Uh, and the reason being is because play here is granted to us. And when I talk to some people, like, hey, we go there to build playgrounds. And because, you know, we are so, we grown up with it, and we don't even understand it. Like, so we're like, why playground? Why don't you bring them food, water, and shelter? Why don't you build a school? Whereas when I go there and talk to these people about playground, first thing, they also, they're kind of resistant because for them, playground is usually means uh, soccer, football to them. I was like, playground, like, why, would, why would kids need to play? because they don't need to play. For them, it's play is just like being fun or mis- mischievous. But when I start explaining what is it true play that kids they do and what is it we talk about play, which is, you know, a free play with no any task or anything to get to, they get it. And they all, like all these parents and teachers and families, the kids themselves, they all volunteer to help. Um here also we do get support, uh, especially for those that are still to have a playful life. You know, those adults, they get it. You know, they're the one that they're still keeping play is part of their life. They, they understand and they all want to be part of this. And um, see, the thing is, a lot of the relief work that is out there is amazing and it's so needed. But they're all focused about physical rights and physical condition, which is food, water, shelter. And what has been missing is mental health. Mm -hmm. And mental health for children 
is play. Like plain and simple. There is so much that children automatically do through playing. They socialize, they connect, they deal with trauma, they make sense of the world. True play is only place that gives the experience joy. True play is the only time that kid has control over his life and can problem solve. So they get to understand the world maybe is not that scary and bad. I get to control it. I get to deal with myself. Um, and that, that's what we want to bring for the kids. I'm reminded of a, a statement, and it's actually been misquoted by several different people. So we don't actually know who actually was the one who said it, but I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, kids are not a break from the important work. They are the important work. And I think that's oh. kind of what you're trying to say here is that absolutely kids are the important work. We invest in them. We invest in our future. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we uh, us, we haven't been doing the best that we could, you know. There is a lot of wars happening around the world. There is a lot of forests that being destroyed. There is shortage of water and resources. And now at least we should empower the children so they can clean up our mess and they can create a better future for themselves. And isn't it true, or it seems to be true, that as we get older, as we become adults, and we get busy with, with our jobs, our lives, our responsibilities, that don't we tend to lose that sense of play and therefore a sense of joy and, and wonderment about the world. So uh, we, as, we as adults can learn much from children in their sense of wonder and, and excitement and enthusiasm. And uh, so what you're providing, we, we just really think is wonderful uh, because it's uh, it, it is invaluable just invaluable so Thank we you. Y- we know that you left uh reza you left a, a comfortable life in a beautiful a beautiful city uh, squamish which was near west vancouver to start this journey uh we also know that you were in a very serious accident you know as you've mentioned which is caused you to take stock of your life, you know, you've already mentioned that in brief. So what happened in that accident and how, how did that change then come about, you know, your perspective on life and, and what was missing and what was needed? Um, so, you know, talk about that if you can. And, you know, first, and as well as what your life was like before the accident, a little bit more detail if you'd like, if you can, you know, and then how that perspective changed to where it is today, because that's a we're always fascinated by by s- stories, the evolution that people go through mm-hmm. in their lives to become who they are in this moment. Sure. Thank you. Um, so before the accident, um, I guess I could say my life was as some people, they say, oh, somebody made it. You know, I, I had a, a great career. Um, I was a professional athlete. Um you know, like I had it all. I had a great place, great life, uh, living in Squamish near West Vancouver. Um, and as I told you, I was always seeking that thrill and the, the rush and adventure. Um, and so my last accident was a speed flying. Um, and I, uh, uh, so you speed fly in winter or summer. This one was jumping in summer, jumping off a cliff. And uh, my wing didn't open properly. It had a malfunction. Um, and I just, like, as I took off from the rock, I said, oh, I'm coming down fast. Something is not right. And okay. I just, like, got really close to the top of the trees. And I just, you know, hit one tree with my foot. And the next tree came, I just grabbed the top of the tree. And because there was no more speed into the me going down, the wing collapsed on me, so there was no more pressure on the wing as well. So I got heavy, the top of the tree snapped, and I fell. And that was a tall tree. There were about like 100 feet tall trees. Um, and, you know, I, I fell, and it was just this buzzing sound and black and nothing. And I had a couple of friends and another friend who was, uh, you know, good with uh, flying that was helping me there. They were up there and they saw the accident and they all thought I'm dead. I was thinking, you know, that's it as I was coming down until I started hearing these noises, screaming Reza, Reza. And I just like, you know, I was unconscious. I came to my senses and I saw my friend looking for me and they found me. 
And I walked away from this accident with just a concussion and some bruises. And this time was so hard for me to cope with it. Like how, once again, life is giving me this opportunity to walk away from this. And two days after my accident, a friend of mine, Kyle, who was still is, you know, the, the legend of speed flying and he had such a good, playful life. He had a similar accident to me, but he passed away. Mm-hmm. This just made it that much harder for me. Like, you know, he, Kyle, he, he was the master and, and he didn't make it, but I did. And just a few days after, Kyle's wife gave birth to their daughter. Um, and I just could not deal with myself that why he's not here for his daughter and I'm here. What is my purpose? What am I doing here? And that's where I went to in a little journey to hear hear the voice, hear like what is it this Reza is doing here? So I, I went and I lived in a Amazon forest uh, on my own for some times and that's where I got present to, to the time that I was in, in a war and find that light in the darkness and play. Uh, so like, okay, but I still wasn't sure what and how I'm going to bring this light to other children. I was like, oh, maybe I just have to go hang out with kids, talk to, to the children. Uh, and during my journey in South America, I went to Bolivia and I was first in La Paz. La Paz, a very crowded place. I was like, I need to get out of here. I need to go somewhere quiet so I can still get what's there for me to get. Um, as I was trying to leave La Paz, I just noticed there's so many children, you know, from young age, like two, three years old and up. They're living in their own little group and community and they're working in the street. And I was really interested to see what is it like to be these children. So I stayed there for a week and I just hang out with these kids, you know, I would just sit back, look at them, what they do. And I noticed these kids, they are, there's something missing for them to be kids. They were like adults. They're just like wake up, they're looking to find money, they go share their things, they eat together, but they are not kids. You know, they had like this, this suffering, this like seriousness in their face. And I saw for kids to be a kid, they need to play. Mm. And that's what's missing. And that's where it just, it clicked. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a play space, which is a playground. Um, so I came back to Canada and, uh, you know, I uh, changed my life as well. I sold my business, anything I could turn to cash and liquefy. I did that and I started traveling and building playgrounds. And this is what I've been doing since then. There's just so many things that we could ask about all of that. Yeah. Uh, it's just that that's just such a brilliant story, and and thank you for being intentional about listening to that inner voice. We we try to remind people that we listen to all the time that there there is a voice in there. It needs to be listened to, but it, sometimes we have to, as you did, leave the distractions and go to a lonely place by ourselves to, to hear it. And, uh, and you did that. So we're proud of what you've, what you've embarked upon here. Thank you very much. It is is all a gift. You know, I'm just so, so honored for my life. You know, everything good, bad and ugly, whatever it is that happened and bring me to where I am today is just such a wonderful life. So let's talk a little bit about service because Michael and I both left uh, previous careers ourselves to start someone to tell it to. And so there's kind of entrepreneurial side of us too, of, of starting something from, from scratch and, you know, just having to trust and, and build something out of nothing and, and just believe in your gift ultimately, and also your sense of call and your sense of purpose, but just love to talk a little bit more about service. And you've written that it is an absolute pleasure to be in service of the most real humans. And I know as I was just listening to you there, you talked about the sense of adventure that you've had inside of you. And I think we could probably make the argument that all of us have that sense of adventure, but it's not always been cultivated or nourished the way that it needs to be. So how how do you, through service, nurture that sense of adventure? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, 
you know, for me, for, let's talk about the adventure phrase. Like to to have that 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 rush, you know, that feeling of adventure, which is for me was feel of aliveness. You know, that that heartbeat to just like wake me, like hey, tap tap, I'm alive. Um, I get that now. It's so much more amplified way through giving that joy to a child that hasn't experienced joy. You know, some of these kids, they have seen nothing but suffering. Some of them, they have seen their parents slaughtered in front of them. Some of them, they lived, you know, in things that like us as an adult can't even comprehend. They used to be child soldiers. They used to be in sex trafficking as a little young kids. And now to be there and be the person that brings smiles to their faces, be the person that sit down with them, hold their hands, says, I love you. I'm here for you. You know, it's, it's the joy that I get from this is just nothing else come close to it. And, and about, you know, like, living the life that I had before. Um, my opinion is, you know, we, we, we are working, but we're not working for money, right? We are, we are, we're, even though we are working to get money in, in return, but we work to make money so we can use the money to buy some stuff and buy some stuff so we can get a feeling of it. Oh, once I have this home, I'm going to feel happy. Once I have this car, I'm going to feel good. So we're going through the work and money and buying things so we get to the feeling what I'm doing, I think I'm cutting those loop and I'm going straight to the feeling. <laughs> Maybe it's a shortcut. And, and and I think nothing out there is more powerful than being in service of others. Because when you're in service of others, me, myself, has already been taken care of. You know, it's just one step above that. Like, okay, now what I can do for others. Uh, and everything in my life just resolves itself, just works out. You're kind of addressing what you call a deprivation of play. And that's like the overarching issue you're addressing for us. It's a deprivation of what we call loneliness, this epidemic of loneliness and disconnection. So I think we're kind of combating it probably in, in just two different ways, but uh, addressing the same issue. And you actually have made the argument that it's one of the main factors in the rise of narcissism and that a decline in empathy among young people. And uh, you've, You've challenged others to refute that belief by writing, change my mind. Yeah. <laughs> She'd love that. Thrown down the gauntlet yeah. there. <laughs> so has anyone, has anyone tried to change your mind and has it worked at all? And how has anyone given you pushback or strengthened your belief? Yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely, and you know, sometimes I, I, I do challenge people is not because I am absolutely right, which I'm never right. We're all just, all of human, we're sea of opinions, you know, there's nothing right or wrong. But sometimes I challenge people because I want them to start thinking, you know, I just, I think questioning and thinking is, is, is a big thing that we need as humans, you know, and and that's what I, I want to bring with, with play, you know, with play you start like, problem solving sort of thinking like how can I put this together how can I play this how can I climb this monkey bar um so about that question uh see is through playing children they connect with their peers they get to see their point of view once they're playing and push a friend they fall and cry we can create a sense of empathy you know and as you were saying something about right now we are with like the, the pandemic there is uh, this uh, connection and this uh, feeling of so, uh, socializing is missing so we all feeling something in our mental health is not all there connection and socializing is a form of play that's how kids they get to socialize that's how kids they get to connect with others and us as adults we change the name as like gathering or party or whatever maybe but still is a play that now changes with different words as us as adults we use um and yeah there are people like every now and then they come i was like why don't you go and build them a school that's what they need they get to get educated like school is great but Listen, some of these people we are children we are working with, they have seen nothing but suffering. Some of these kids they've been laborers, you know, they're all their life they have worked and they have suffered. Now you want to sit down these kids behind the table and teach them math and physics. They are not ready for it. 
you know, there's so much trauma, there's so much cloud in there that needs to get cleared before they get to learn. And also, it's great to have a planet that everybody is educated, but it's also it's important that have a planet that everybody has a sense of empathy. Everybody is alive, everybody is playful, everybody care for one another. Um, there was a research, I'll make it very quick, there was a research in uh, Texas, they did uh, through 26 convicted murder, and they tried to find a common thread at what makes a human a convicted murderer. So they recreated their lifestyle and they did interviews of their families and friends and neighbors to see what would, was common between all these people to become who they are so they don't have this empathy so they can kill someone. And what they missed was all of them, they were missing play in their life. Mm-hmm. Play is very powerful. And you know, the, the reason, one reason I guess we are underestimating that because the word play on its own been used very loosely you know like we say play nowadays like you know, everybody thinks so many different things about word play but you know that, I think that that's one of the issues we have with the, with play thank you for listening to the someone to tell it to podcast wonders found thrift shop is proud to be one of its sponsors wonders found is an all-volunteer run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. We have a tradition, Michael and I, we've, I'm a father of four kids. Michael's a father of three kids and plus grandkids. And we've made a tradition uh, probably for the last, I don't know, six or seven years. We live in central Pennsylvania and, and Hershey Park is a famous amusement park here close to us. And, and for the last probably six years, Michael and I have always taken my two oldest kids and we've just gone to the park and just played. And I remember one, uh, one evening in particular, it was just super hot as, as right now, actually in central Pennsylvania, it's super hot, like almost a hundred degrees hot. And huh. we, we had gone to the park on an evening like this and the kids wanted to go to the water park side of the amusement park. And, and so we took them there. And they immediately, you know, with their swim trunks on, they, they, they went and played, but we, we were not dressed for the occasion. Let's put it that way. But our kids just kept looking at us, like encouraging us. Are you going to come? Are you going to join, join in on this fun? And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, yeah, all inhibitions aside, we're just going to go and, you know, get wet and, and just enjoy, you know, having fun with the kids. And, and, and it really was helpful for us because I remember it was in a really stressful period for us. Uh, with someone to tell it to for a variety of reasons, but it just helps us to rise above whatever it is that we're, we're carrying inside mm-hmm. of us. And, mm-hmm. and kids have a way of doing that. And it's, it's pretty, pretty special. Yeah. And help, uh, I think help us to see beyond the problems and the stresses and the frustrations to see that there's more to, there's more to this life than that. And children are experts at being able to show us that. Absolutely. Experts. Absolutely. You see, the play by definition is being present, is creative, and is imaginative. That's play. You know, when you play, you're not playing and thinking about your tomorrow's meeting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's so present. It's play happens now. And, and also play is a voluntarily work or activity with no purpose or place to reach to. Play is being silly. <laughs> yep. Uh, and back to what I said about adults, we're not silly enough sometimes. We're not, you know, we just don't play, you know, we just don't play enough. And we can learn. We can learn. <laughs> You're um, we, we, you know, we did a lot of research, uh, you know, the, the things that uh, you've, you've written, things that you've said, things that you have done. And one of the, the things that we saw on your website was there's a statement that, Play not only has a vital role in the development of a child, but is it is their right, as declared in the United Nations Article 31. And you say that the power of play focuses on children, 
living in conditions that have stripped away their right to play. And you've committed to bringing joy and happiness back into their lives. I mean, who couldn't? It's hard to imagine anyone opposing that. You're right that children are the future of our planet and that raising a generation that has known love instead of suffering is of utmost importance. What a, what a powerful, powerful statement. I want to say it again, that raising a generation that has known love instead of suffering is of utmost importance. He go on to write that the power of play should never be underestimated. For when it comes to the life of a child, there is never such a thing as too much play. And we, we really love that. And, um, you know, we just thank you for believing that, for writing that, for being in a mission that, that, is, um, that is a proponent of that. And we think that is just so life-giving amidst, you know, and in the midst of a world that is sometimes so life, life-destroying. life um, Is there anything more you'd like to say about that? Sure, yeah. Thank you for that. And you found some great stuff in our website and everywhere. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, yeah, see, we have the, the problem we have is, is two things. One is the, the mindset that in the, some of these uh, places that we end up working is people, they see children as someone that is supposed to bring bread to the table. So a lot of these kids, they end up working. You know, I go to this, to this country, I see kids, they walk two hours a day just to go to the well to get water and they stand up in line up get water and these heavy 20 liter jugs of water they have to drag it home and then they have to help with other chores and stuff um we are living in a world that there's so much wars happening so many diseases like hiv and whatnot um annually there are about 10,000 children that they become orphans. There's so many kids that are orphaned, and these kids, they're struggling to live and survive. And uh, also war, you know. There is uh, one person of the world's population are living in refugee camp, and 50% of those are children. <laughs> it's a big number, considering we have over 7 billion people on our planet. It's a huge number. And this yeah, these kids, they don't get to play. And this is how all these rights been taken away from them. And unfortunately, in refugee camp, in these places, you in a lot of these orphanages, there is no opportunity for these kids to play, you know? And um, and the, the, just the power that this fork has is unreal. It's so vivid. Like, when I go there build a playground like the before and after within few days once the playground is completed and done like i see myself the difference in kids in the community you know when the you're probably like walking around or like even in youtube in video or something you see like kids are laughing and giggling a child's laughter it's so powerful that you know when you hear that sound when you see a kid's laughing it always like touches something in you you how you will have a smile in your face i would argue that between all human expression child's laughter is the most powerful one <laughs> and and i think this is the most powerful way to make our planet a happier place through creating an army of happy kids there's nothing that i enjoy more probably almost nothing more that I enjoy in life than just hearing my kids laugh. Yeah. <laughs> it truly is a yeah. gift. If we, we read this correctly, you recently were in South Sudan to build a playground. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So could you describe a little bit about your experience there? What that was like? Cause I think you had said that it was one of the most difficult places you've ever, ever seen with the most obstacles for children. Yeah. Um, so is, is quite different from, you know, anything I've ever seen or heard is, uh, and we can, there's not much can be like, you, you're not allowed to take 
cameras to the country. There are no journalists. You can just pull your camera out in a or your phone in a public space and take pictures. Um, and the suffering is just is different level. You know, um, South Sudan is one of the, it is the youngest country. It's separated from Sudan, and the genocide in these uh, countries has been going on for about seventy years. Um, and over there, we saw so many kids that they escaped from their home, live in the street because they have a better chance of feeding themselves in the street than in their home. And we're talking about one of the poorest, most dangerous countries in the world. And especially now with pandemic, the, the restaurant, well, it isn't really a restaurant, but they're all mostly all closed. So these kids, they go in um, fruit markets and the fruits are rotten and those where they toss away, they go and eat this food. A lot of these kids had this like a flash eating disease in their legs and stuff that's growing and like, you know, they're losing their limbs. And the, the suffering that I saw there, it was traumatizing. And, and that was for me, I can't imagine like for those children. Um, and that's where I'm going back. The reason I left, I got very sick with uh, malaria and like my kidneys stopped working. So I had to come back to Canada for treatment. Um, and I'm going back in three weeks. Um, and it's just it's so much work needs to be done in that country. You know, we are working in one of the orphanages. They have over 1,200 kids and have metal fence and barbed wire because kids there they get being stolen to become a soldier or they will be used as a in a sex trafficking um mm. there's a lot of work needs to be done there's a lot of attention needs to go to that country for sure previously on our podcast here we actually interviewed one of the they're called the lost boys of sudan if you've heard that that term before absolutely yeah and he actually lives here in central pennsylvania and so we had him on the program and we have a, a strong relationship with him but just hearing his story he, he came on the program to give kind of his testimonial and it was obviously in some some broken english but it was oh my goodness goodness the mm -hmm. level of suffering that he had experienced as a child will be something that he's having to work through for the rest of his life yeah absolutely yeah, and, and actually the, the orphanage that I just told you, it's uh, built with uh, by one of the lost boys of Sudan that escaped, came oh, to the U.S., wow, wow. and now he came back to South Sudan and he started this uh, charity. Uh, his name is John Dang. He's a fantastic human. We're working with him to build a playground there. Well, we'll be sure to share this episode with our friend Thomas, yeah. who'd be, who would love to, to hear about the work that you're doing there. Awesome. Thank you. And we, uh, we affirm you celebrate you for going back too. that, uh, you know, you've been there, you were, you live with some, under some tough conditions and saw some, some horrific things and you got very sick, but, um, that's not stopping you. Um, we're, we're impressed with your stamina, with your uh, sense of perseverance. And, uh, again, your commitment to this mission and that what you what you're willing to do uh, for, for these children um, to, to to have perhaps for the very first time a sense of play and the ability yeah. to play and to know what that means and to tap into joy um, mm -hmm. um, that like they've never been able to do before. Reza, part of the reason that we're in this conversation today is because through our friend from Vancouver who strongly believes in someone to tell to's compassionate listening work, you expressed an interest in compassionate listening work. And you obviously have seen, as Michael just mentioned, just some horrendous things. How do you see compassionate listening be a, being a need uh, on like a global scale? Uh, you had shared one or two specific ex examples. And if you wanted to share those now, that would probably be meaningful to do. But uh, we know that you have, you have a heart for compassionate listening as we do, and we'd love to learn a little mm -hmm. bit more about it. Playground is a place that kids, they get to deal with trauma. Um, and I believe, you know, see that that's where they release everything. That's where they come up with all their imagination, creativity, thoughts, feelings, play, they, you know, and I think compassionate listening, creating that space for adult, that would be very adults can just release all this trauma, all these thoughts, all this feeling. Um, and as I shared with you guys, uh, I had an opportunity to, that I was talking to someone and, you know, 
automatically think we do as somebody's talking we already have an answer for them i had an answer we're going and then also like just this thing i'm like stop giving an answer like this mm-hmm. i feel like he has a lot to say mm-hmm. also i sort of stop having an answer and i just actually start listening to him and as he was talking i was like just giving him a space and i wasn't really saying much just keep providing this space and just listening and he started talking and also like oh my god can i tell you more i was like please do and he would talk and they were like oh my god can i talk to you even more like please do <laughs> and 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 yeah the stuff uh he got to share with me was quite quite dark you know things that mm-hmm. has happened in his childhood his family and then once it finished he just had this deep breath i was like oh my god thank you and he was just keep thanking me for letting him talk so i didn't do i just create this space for you and and i saw how powerful it is to give this space to somebody to speak and i had few times you know that people they give me a space to talk you know like i had my share of trauma with like some of the nearest experience and like being in these places and refugee camp and Anytime I get this chance, like these things just get released. So I believe uh, compassionate listening is, is a great space, is a great gift, it's a great opportunity to give to the people um, to deal with what's there for them to deal with. Um, and that's why I want to train myself in this. So while I'm there and I'm being in service of children, I deal with many adults, you know, a lot of them are they live through this genocide and they never get the chance to deal with it. Like I was just in Rwanda before South Sudan and, uh, and you guys know like the genocide there was not long ago in uh, 1996 and one sixth of the population got slaughtered in 100 days. And the way the country wanted to deal with the trauma was after the genocide was finished, it says nobody's allowed to talk about genocide. So you can imagine how much is there. And uh, I just want to, provide this space for for people for adults to also get it out even though i might not be able to speak their language but i know compassionate listening is not about language it's about creating a space and and creating a feeling in that absolutely yeah that uh that someone is loved someone is valued and 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 someone is heard uh yeah that's that's tremendous in relation to listening, uh, we love the fact that you partner in building your playgrounds with local organizations and the communities in which they're being built. They help to design, they help to, to formulate what what will be there. And that's about listening, isn't it? You listen to them. You, you, you let them know by your listening and by asking that their opinions, their desires I uh, have great value. So uh, you've already begun to talk about this, but could you tell us, would you tell us more about your philosophy on that, about how, you know, partnering with them and, and uh, having local communities design their own playgrounds, mm-hmm, put mm-hmm. them together and, and using local resources and organizations, you know, wh- how, what have you seen? What's the power of that? Absolutely. Sure. That's a great question. Uh, See, from my work and spending time in some of these underprivileged uh, areas around the world, what I see is a lot of these people and this community, they need relief from relief work. You know, the way we bring this relief to them, a lot of time we make them dependent on it. You know, we go to refugee camps that they have to line up, get their food, get their water, go to their under their tarp leave next day do the same thing and they become so dependent um and we don't want to go as these people we come from the western and we know what you need i want them to say what is it they want i say these are the services we can provide how can we cater to you guys how do you guys want it to be and and they love this they love that somebody actually come and sit down with them like this is what we do how can we do it right for you guys what do you guys think about it and that's why they volunteer you know some of these people they don't even get to eat much but with the little energy they have they want to come and do something for their own kids and as for the playground uh, every playground we built is designed by the local kids 
That's we go there and we awesome. ask the kids yeah. Yeah. one question. We ask them, how do you like to play? We don't ask them to design a playground or what kind of play element you want to see here. We say, how do you like to play? Which is a very open and imaginary question. And this kids they start drawing and painting and stuff and they hand out their painting and then we sit with team of our designer and we come up to what is we actually can build, which is we always build from upcycle material like used tires and car parts and whatnot. <laughs> and giving this space to the kids to speak up, to say what's in their mind, it is so empowering. I just love it that these kids, they come, they sit down around the playground and they watch their creation become to something tangible and something visible. They have this pride in their face. They go and they talk to other friends and they, I can see they're describing how you're going to end up playing with this thing. It's, it's, I think it's one of the best part of our, our work. You know, it's, it's, it's not about those tires or about a swing or metal is about creating this space for them and is about empowering them so what's the coolest playground you've built we gotta know <laughs> they're all cool what's i the... can't tell you what's the coolest <laughs> one you know each, each one of them is, is a kid design it so they're all just just phenomenal good, Obviously an, good the answer playground is what is the stand out the most but uh yeah they're all just so so connected to my heart and all the kids there you're a wonderful diplomat. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 you're, that, that, that's, 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 that has to serve you well as you go to different cultures and different countries. <laughs> Thank you. We want to end, actually, and this is a very, very serious question, and it's about something that you recently posted on, on your social page, and it's just a very relevant subject matter that we're all facing um, on a global scale right now, and it's the issue with the Taliban. And uh, you posted a video of Taliban soldiers this past week, and you wrote this. As they were capturing Kabul and killing people, they came to amusement park and playgrounds. Their inner child awoke the moment they stepped into the playground. They put their guns aside, and they started laughing and playing. Just imagine if they had grown up with play, if they had the opportunity to connect and develop the sense of empathy. Do not underestimate the power of playgrounds. So let, let's end this way. Tell us about that power. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, they are referring to the video that's probably gone viral of, uh, you know, the Taliban soldiers are playing in a, in a playground, amusement park, jumping up and down, which for a lot of people, you know, seems funny or whatever it may be. But it's got a really, really strong message. You know, those people, like, they had these guns. They're there to kill people. And the moment they came to this amusement park, you will see they put the guns aside. They are laughing and playing. You know, they are doing what they are doing because of their, you know, where they've grown up, because of the things they have seen, because of the, all the things they had missed in their life. And playground, as I was just telling you, is not about that swing or slide. It's about the space, is a space to play. That's what a playground is. And just imagine all these soldiers, all these people, as a kid, they get to play with other children. They get to have a playful life that you and I had uh, get to have. They get to create this sense of empathy and connection and socializing. You know, they would have grown up with this love and this joy instead of this loneliness and misery and hatred. You know, just like an, a children, a child that is grown up like and has his parents slaughtered in front of him and then as an orphan been taken as a child soldier and then been put in a place that has to kill somebody. What do we expect from this person? It's up to us to do something about it. It's up to us to create something for these kids to be a person that makes our planet and our society a better place. Wow. That's just, it's, it's hard to even know how to put all of that into words. Mm -hmm. You're actually rendering us a bit speechless uh, yeah. right now <laughs> with this vision. Just imagine, you know, maybe this is part of the solution to finding peace. 
provide uh, take take uh, those who are opposing one another to an amusement park together <laughs> and a playground and and um, you know get on some rides and swing on some swings and you know whatever whatever it is uh, to just rediscover rediscover or maybe sometimes for the first time discover it that's actually I, yeah. I, I love that Michael that's a great idea. imagine now instead of sitting across a, a long table to talk about you know their profit and war or whatnot they sit around in front of each other in a merry-go-round as they're spinning yeah, yeah exactly now let's talk about our problems there isn't any anymore <laughs> you can have some bumper cars if they need to you know crash into each other a little yeah. bit just to get that out but then it sounds know. like a future children's book yeah. we need to write together yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So Reza, is there anything more you, as we conclude today, is there anything else you'd like to say? If there's one more thing I want to say is, uh, to have a successful life, you need to have a happy heart and happy heart is in service of others. Absolutely correct. Yes. uh, Yes. A million times. We embrace that wholeheartedly. (laughs) I'm reminded just of a statement. I think it was Howard Thurman who once said something like, don't ask what the world needs. Ask you, ask what makes you come alive and go do that because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And uh, uh, just thank you for, for becoming alive to who you are and who you've been created to be and for listening to that inner voice and for responding because you're changing lives and hearts and spirits. You sure are. I get the impression too that you you were alive even before this in a lot of ways with your with some of your sporting uh, and your adventure your adventure following, but um, you uh, which had its own power. But uh, this this is universal, and because you know what we were all we were all once children. There's this, there's there's something about being a child, and again that joy and the wonderment that a child can experience, the laughter, the sense of abandonment. Um, that is, we need it. We need it. We absolutely need it. We really do. So Reza, thank you, uh, for the power that you are unleashing, the power that you have, um, that you have discovered is real. So, so Reza, just tell our listeners how they could get connected with you if they would like to learn more. Absolutely. Uh, so through our website, uh, which is the power of play, Dot ca. Uh, you can also find us in Instagram, the power dot of play. Um, thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for what you guys are doing for Planet and creating this space of compassionate listening. Really, I appreciate your work. I believe in your work. And please move it forward, pay it forward. Keep moving and handing out this power that you guys have to others. You. Well, you. We get, we got it, we got it. We, this has been recorded, so we have that yeah. to share. We we can share this forever now. Uh, what your endorsement? So thank you so much, and we we wholeheartedly endorse what you're doing too. So we want you to know that. Awesome! Thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Someone to Tell to podcast today. We say it all the time and I know Michael said it early in the introduction we just love what we are privileged enough to do every day and this conversation was another testament to that Reza made us come alive by listening to his story by listening to his testimony of how he's given up so much to receive so much and uh, he is truly living a life of service of love and compassion for everyone but especially children. Hmm. He's reminding us, he reminded us that uh, we need to play more too. Hmm. That, um, you know, so many of us work very hard and the work is fulfilling in, in so many ways and life-giving. Um, but um, it's also good sometimes to, to step aside a little bit, to step away a little bit and um, get some perspective and certainly play whatever whatever play may mean to us can do that and he's uh, reminded us of that and we hope he's reminded you of that too as you've listened today uh, we hope you've seen as well the power the power of his mission 
power of the work that he is so committed to and, and, and just the power of his spirit as he talks about the power of play. So thanks for joining us today. And as we leave, we want to remind all of you who are, who are watching, who are listening, that um, the Someone to Tell It To's ninth annual gathering uh, will be held on Sunday, September the 26th um, in central Pennsylvania. We're going to be having a keynote speaker, the best-selling, renowned author, John Gordon, a leadership expert, uh, who talks about service a lot, too, uh, just as, as Reza did. And we hope that uh, those of you who are in our area can go to our website and, and register to attend. That would just be tremendous. And those of you who don't, you'll be able to, you'll be able to also see and watch the, the program online, too. It will be live streamed, and we're excited about that. We also to remind, want to remind you that Someone to Tell It To's newest book will be coming out. Uh, it's just about finished. And we're just on the last stages, the last final touches uh, to make it as perfect as it can be. And uh, that, that book will, will be out in time to celebrate our 10th anniversary, someone to tell it to's 10th anniversary of, of being in the listening space and providing space, safe space, comfortable space, as, as Reza uh, told us it was, in order for people to be heard be listened to, to be valued, and ultimately to be loved. So until we listen again.